Welcome to Thrive Church Podcast. Join Pastor Kevin Bordeaux as he explores the word giving insightful solutions for day-to-day challenges. We pray this message encourages you throughout your day. You can also visit www.thrivechurch.me. Now on to today's message. Thrive Church this morning. How's everyone doing? Good deal. Good to have you guys here um, this morning. Uh, real quick, I want to a couple things. Housekeeping rules. Um, not rules. Not really rules here. Um, but t-shirts. If you're interested in getting a Thrive t-shirt and representing, make sure you sign up over at the guest table where the TV's at with some envelopes there. Just write down, uh, you know, it's seven bucks a t-shirt. That's not bad. You went on vacation and paid 15 for a t-shirt. That was airbrushed that you will not wear anymore, right? So make sure you do that. Um, also, if you're a first-time guest with us in that blue basket, you can drop off your connection card. We'd love to stay in touch with you, let you know what's happening here at Thrive Church. Um, it's been an amazing summer, the best summer of 10 years of ministry I've ever had. That's, that's saying a lot. Amen? Amen? Uh, usually churches shut down in the summer, they, they, they scale back, and we've seen God just redeem people. We've seen people, you know, uh, trust Jesus as Savior. We've seen baptisms. Man, an awesome VBS uh, last week. It's just been amazing to see what God's doing here at Thrive Church. We're so excited. Um, and I want to say this real quick, is that, um, you know, to the congregation, thank you so much for your prayers and your gifts and your cards to Linda Rice and the Sherwin's family. Um, they both experienced loss um, on the same day uh, last week. And just want to say thank you so much for you guys that, that, that called, that sent cards, that prayed, that showed concern. It means a lot. Um, we're all going to go through that in our life at some point in time. And it, it means a lot to have a church family around you to care for you. And so thank you guys so much for that, just for being there for them. That's on behalf of those families that asked me to, to share that with you. Well, go ahead and turn your Bibles today to Philippians 4. Um, If this is your first time with us, we're in a series in Philippians called the Joy Genome, which is all about uh, the book of joy, which is Philippians. And we're actually finishing up this series today. We have done a verse-by-verse study. This is the seventh week of that study. And so if you were not here, you can go online and listen to the podcast and download notes. But go ahead and turn to Philippians 4.11. Philippians 4, verse 11. And we're all going to look at verses 10 through 23, but I want to draw your attention uh, to verse 11 through 13 right now. I want to speak to you this morning about the secret of contentment. Uh, moving here to Virginia, I have seasons again. You guys know that I moved from Florida last year, and uh, it is not all it's cracked up to be. It's great to vacation at, but we, have, we had two seasons in Florida. Hot summer, mild summer. Hot summer was, was March to November. And mild summer was December to February. And so I didn't have seasons anymore. And I'm going to tell you, I felt a little, little robbed. I'll never forget my first Christmas. Now check this. First Christmas, it was 83 degrees in South Florida on Christmas Day. I was like, this isn't Christmas. I don't like this. But how many days, well, you know, times in my life when I lived in North Carolina that I wish it was 83 degrees on Christmas, right? Um, and so you, you can tell weather is so telling because it shows how discontent we really are. I guarantee when it was 10 degrees during the winter, and I actually have the little picture I took on my phone of the weather map, it was 10 degrees. I guarantee many of you were praying for 84 degrees, right? Some of you are like, I wish it'd be 84. But I know some of you this week at 84 degrees, you're like, man, I wish it was cooler. I can't wait for fall to get here. Think about it. Every season that we're at, we're hoping, we're hoping that the next season will come, right? 
And, and when it's summer, we're like, man, I just wish, I just wish fall would get here. Get those kids back in school, get them out of my hair. None of you parents say that. Your kids are in kids' church, but you can say, yeah. Right? Um, and when it's winter, you're wishing it be spring. And it shows how discontent we really are. And as human beings, the one thing that many of us are missing in our life is that contentment in our heart. And Benjamin Franklin said this. He said, discontentment makes rich men poor. He said, but contentment makes poor men rich. Now look at Philippians here, uh, verses 11 through 13. And I just want to draw your attention to this uh, as we start. Paul says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned, say learned, in whatever state I am, to be what? What is that? Content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's pray. God, today I just ask for your grace on this message. Uh, Holy Spirit, you make the word of God real to our hearts. I pray that there will not be any people in here that the hearts are not ready to receive the word, Lord. But I pray that the, the word of God will be implanted, which is able to save our souls. Um, Lord, today teach us the secret of contentment. God, you've been hammering this in my heart since Monday. And God, I've been challenged to the core uh, just going through this message. I pray today, God, you would challenge us and you would stir our affections to follow you closely, to, to love you more, God, and to be moved to action on behalf of the gospel. God, we love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Now, for seven weeks, I've been giving you the history of Philippians, right? Philippi was a place in Europe and that Paul visited on his second missionary journey. And when he visited there, he started this church from scratch. No Christians there. It was like going into L.A. or New York, right? He parachutes in and he goes in and sees God do an amazing work in the hearts of people in Philippi. Now, I want you to think about this. We are sitting here today in America because of Philippi. It spread through Europe, and from Europe, the gospel got to America. Think about that. Isn't that amazing? And so Paul deeply loved the Philippian church. He had this mushy love for him. If you read the book, you'll see, um, for many reasons. Um, one was because God did such a powerful work in their hearts. I love to see somebody who was far from God give their life to Christ, get baptized, and then just start serving Jesus and fall in love. That's like the greatest gift ever. I mean, as a pastor, that's, I mean, if you want to do something great for Pastor Appreciation Month coming up, pray for that. Pray that God would do that. And I could, I just love to see that because that's my story. And Paul, for them, it was their story. And he was so excited that that had happened in their hearts. But not only that, the Philippians loved Paul. They gave to him financially more than any other church. Realize that Paul made tents. That's what he did for a living. So he traveled, shared the gospel in a brand new area. There are no Christians and he made tents. But he was sharing the gospel at such a fast rate. Bam, bam, bam. City to city to city. I mean it was amazing that tent making couldn't keep up. And I think him being in and out of jail didn't help his job at all. Because he probably couldn't keep it going steady, right? Uh, you know, Paul was in and out of jail for sharing the gospel, always in trouble. And so the Philippians stepped up and helped Paul financially to share the gospel where the gospel had never been shared before. And he tells them that he sees their generosity, watch this, that comes from their contentment. 
Let's say it one more time because some of you were, were, were dreaming about some more sleep or about your sausage biscuit. He said he was, he was sharing with them. He was thanking them for their generosity that came from their contentment. Now, I believe in our culture today, in America in 2013, there's nothing more that we struggle with more than contentment. We're the most discontented country, I believe, in the world. But we have the most stuff, right? Um, parents now, life is so different, isn't it? I mean, I'm only 34. I'm a young buck. I'm a young blood. You know, I'm, I'm not that old. But when I was a kid, you did not have cartoons all the time. I mean, it, it was Saturday morning from 8, or actually 7.30 to 12. And at 12 o'clock, when Looney Tunes went off, you went outside to play. Anybody remember that? Did your kids remember that? Okay, good. Then cartoons came on in the afternoons. You got home from school. And they went to about 5.30, and then all the boring stuff come on, and then you went and, found stuff, you went and played some more and did those things. Um, when I was a child, we didn't have cell phones. We had these things called beepers or pagers, right? They were as big as a loaf of bread, and when it vibrated, it would knock your hip out of joint. You guys remember that? We didn't even have remote controls growing up. People had children to have remote controls. I would sit beside the TV, seriously, and my dad would like, turn it to channel 11. And I'd get to 11, right? Okay? And then he'd be like, no, 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 I want to go to channel 9. All right, now fix the rabbit ears. Get some more tinfoil, tinfoil beside the TV. And, and, and we, we I, I mean, in my generation, probably had a list a little better than, than this generation. Um, you know, at least we had video games. Of course, mine was Atari. It was like the same sound for everything. And it literally, you couldn't play them for hours because it would drive you crazy hearing that, that sound over and over, right? And so now we see our generation has more stuff than ever before. We have more technology and more gadgets, more things, but I believe we're more discontent than ever in our situation, even as believers, sad to say, because we really believe that getting more stuff and amassing new things will give us contentment that we're all deeply searching for. And you've got to realize this, and you're not going to like this very much, and some of the, the pop culture teachers on TV won't like it either but as human beings at our core we're selfish we're greedy you're not just a really good person getting better we're not just born great people getting better right so like oh no I heard that lady on TV tell me that okay case in point and you've heard this before but because you have amnesia I'm going to share again there's a strong gift in the church that's not mentioned in Corinthians about amnesia and I know it runs rampant in the church <laughs> from week to week we forget what, what people preach on Take a child that is two years old. How many of you had to carry that child to disobedience classes? You actually had to carry them to a class to teach them how not to share. It's like, no, they're just so good. I mean, they share with everyone. They're so obedient. We, we've, got, we've got to curb them. Right? Even animals. I mean, everything. At, at our core, we are greedy. We're selfish. We're, we're concerned about self. Let's just be real about it. The Bible says that our hearts are desperately wicked. Right? Now, thank God that the Lord regenerates our heart. He makes our hearts new. Praise God for that. I thank the Lord for that. But when you find out that many of us are trying to find contentment by focusing on ourselves, and we believe the more focused on ourselves we are, the happier that we will get. And Paul, what he does is he speaks to the, the Philippians about contentment. 
contentment. And here's the key. The key to finding contentment and purpose in the kingdom of God is having a sacrificial heart toward the things in the kingdom of God. You cannot find contentment by trying to get it for yourself. It does not happen. It will not happen. I don't care how hard you try. You you can buy enough stuff. You can get enough new things. Christmas is a great example of that. You buy your kids all those toys. And then two weeks later, they're like, I want something else. We are searching for things to fill the void in our heart. And today what I want to do as we look at Philippians is we're going to look at three statements of contentment. Three statements of contentment. You have to talk a little bit in this message. So if you don't like to talk in church, then you have to talk a little bit with me, okay? So I'm going to make you say some things. Um, but I believe there's three statements that if you'll say them, you can find contentment daily. But you've got to say them daily. Philippians 4.10. And in your talk notes, here's your first point, your first statement. In Philippians 4.10. says, I can be content with or without. That's your first point. I can be content with or without. Say it with me. I can be content with or without. That was really good. Let's do it one more time. I can be content with or without. But look what Paul says here in verse 10. Speaking to the church he loved, they sacrificed greatly for his his service. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that it now at your last care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. I guess the offering basket did not pass through Philippi when it was going through the area of Macedonia. Not that I speak in regard to need. Now watch this here. Excuse me. He says, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be, what? I have learned contentment is not natural for the human soul. Paul had to learn it. We have to learn it. Now watch this. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned. Say the word learned. Very important. Both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and both to suffer need. And and watch this last verse, verse 13. And I'm going to hurt some feelings on this one. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now what Paul is saying to them in, in essence is I can be content with or without. But Paul was saying to them, if I was at Lydia's house eating a filet mignon and Timothy was eating ketchup on it and I had to slap him um, for doing that, I can be content eating steak at the house. But I can also be content, watch this here, when I'm in jail suffering for the gospel. See, many of us could be content in Lydia's house eating steak, but we can't be content when we're suffering for the gospel. When we're going through tough things. And then he makes this statement, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I think every Christian and even non-Christians know this verse, but it's taken out of context. Real quick before I move on. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. does not mean what you think it means. I even saw a t-shirt with a little boy with a baseball, a man with a baseball bat, and he was swinging, saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What we have made that verse to be is this. All right, little Billy, you're going to play baseball today, and you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And he, he strikes out three times. And little Billy's like, man, I guess I can't do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Another example, you can't do all things. Some are like, yeah, I can. Okay, really? Okay, time out. Again, when we look at the Bible, we lose all logic. I'm going to share what this means. I need to tease this out of what it's not. I had a disease when I was born. It's called not that tall. (laughs) Slow down is not that tall. Okay? Not that tall. So um, I had this disease. 
I'm five foot five and a half. And my wife being a, a PA, she's like, well, what does the half come in? I was like, it just does. That's doc- the doctor said it one time. I'm five foot five and a half. I used to practice basketball more than anybody I knew. I shot 200 jump, jump shots every afternoon. I recorded statistics from it, and I'd figure out where I was best at. I would do dribbling drills into the night. When it would get dark, I'd go to my grandfather's house and throw behind-the-back pa- passes for an hour. It'd be 9 o'clock every night before I got home. I watched the Pistol Pete Maravich movies. Uh, you young guys know who that is. He was really awesome. And I learned all these drills. I, I mean, I really had to work hard. But my dad broke my heart one day. I said, I'm going to make it to the NBA. I'm going to be a star. I'm going to be great. My dad said, son, about 1% in college make it to the NBA. I don't think you're even going to make it to college. <laughs> he says, I hate to tell you, but you just ain't built for it. And at that time, I was, you know, I, I, I tell the other staff here, especially Pastor Keith, that, that I, I, I'm the fat boy. Like, I have to eat, uh, you know, all the good foods, and I just don't lose weight as quick. They can eat anything they want, and these skinny guys walk around. So I was born short. And I am not the skinniest guy ever either, which means I'm not fast. So, I'm not going to be an NBA star. How many of you guys know that? You've got kids that you're putting like in travel league and you're, you're doing all this stuff. You knowing that B- Billy is not going to make it on the high school team when he gets to high school. So, so, I cannot do anything I want to do through Christ. That's not what it's saying. Let's just be real. Because that's ridiculous to tell anybody that. It doesn't mean that, you know what, I'm going to be the best CEO I can be, but you can be the best CEO you can be through Jesus, okay? Now, I've got to be content that I'll never play in the NBA. My, 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 my best glory was this. I won a three-point contest, shooting contest against 50 guys at a church in 2009, and I had this little trophy I got. Seriously. And, and I totally forgot it, but um, I was going to bring it today and show you. But I, I'm not going to be an NBA star, but I can be content with being a three-point champion at Morningside Church in 2009. Amen? Well, what Paul is saying there is that you can be content in any situation through God's strength in you. You can be content with or, or content without. And you can do all that through Christ who strengthens you. That's what he's saying. And friends, you can never divorce the Bible from context. I know some preacher on TV got you really excited about all this stuff here. And you're just ready to conquer the world. But what happens to a little boy who strikes out three times? He says, I guess I can't do all things through Christ. It's not what it means. You can be content with or content without. And that's what Paul was saying about his life. There's a commercial, one of my favorite commercials right now is More is Better, right? I'm an AT&T man. For you guys that aren't, don't be haters. But you've seen the commercials with the little kids? He's like, what do you think? It's faster or better? And then the kids, you know, go through and this, this really dry guy does that. We've been taught in our country more is better, faster is better, bigger is better. Um, one of the, the, the credit cards, their slogan is chase your dreams. Yeah. <laughs> you know what they're saying? Spend, go in debt and get a high interest rate to try to make yourself content with things that will never make yourself content. That's what it really means, okay? What says chase your dreams. And we are. We're going after things that are not making us more content. Our country's slogan is probably is, is in our you know, constitution bylaws, pursue happiness. Happiness is not attainable in all situations, is it? But joy is. Contentment is. When you allow that to happen through Jesus Christ. Paul was saying that through Christ he could be content with or content without. There was a a movie in the late 80s, early 90s called Cool Runnings. Remember Cool Runnings? 
Okay, you heathens, you should not be watching movies. <laughs> God have mercy on all of your souls. Um, I don't even think that was even, even G. I think it's like PG. But John Candy, the coach, he was a great Olympic bobsledder for America. And he won a gold medal. And he goes in to coach the Jamaican bobsled team. And they dubbed him Sled God. Remember that? He's, he's like, hey, coach. So they go to him one day after a very disappointing situation where it came out that he had cheated in the Olympics by winning a gold medal. He, he weighted the bobsled. And they asked him, they said, Colts, why would you cheat? I love the guys. It's such a great movie. And John Candy, and he said this. He said, I thought I had to win. And he made this statement that's so profound. He says, but I learned something. If you're not happy without a gold medal, you'll never be happy with a gold medal either. And one of the lessons that I, I've had to learn, probably my biggest lesson in the past two years in ministry is being content. Um, I had a low-grade frustration for about five years in ministry. No, nobody noticed it. I even asked my wife. I was like, I just feel real frustrated. Nobody, but I knew it. I was just frustrated because I thought more was better, bigger was better, faster is better. And in ministry, I was discontent. And when I moved here to Virginia, I settled in my heart that I will find contentment through Jesus Christ no matter what the outcome is. And I'll never forget the day, um, it, was, it was July of last year, when I left church one Sunday, and I got the notes of, of, of what, you know, our, our, our stats were that day, and it said 31 total people. That's everything. Squirrels, kids, adults, me, the people I counted that wasn't here, um, you know, all that. And you know what, I looked at that, and I felt really good. And I said, Lord... I'm content, and I thank you that you've entrusted me to share with these people. And I tell you, that, that was a breaking point for me. Now, now, every week and every day, I have to learn to be content. I have to learn that I can be content with, or I can be content without. Now, here's your second statement this morning, found in Philippians 4.14. Your notes may say 3, but it's 4.14. I will partner with the gospel. Won't you say that with me? I will partner with the gospel. Go ahead and say it. Say it. I will partner with the gospel. Now, now, now look what he says in, in 4.14. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. And he's still speaking to the Philippians. Paul began to travel. Tent making could not keep it going, right? Remember that? Tent making couldn't keep it going. So, so the Philippians shared with him. As he was sharing the gospel so he could continue to do it. And the Bible says that nobody else cared for him. But the Philippians did. They partnered with the gospel. And I want you to get this picture in your mind. Paul was not traveling to churches, preaching and doing altar calls. He was going into places where nobody had heard the gospel. Or there were very few and establishing churches. And they partnered with the gospel. In, in, in America, let me just take a side note here. We believe that evangelists are those who travel church to church and want to hold revival services and do altar calls. When an evangelist, quote unquote, calls me, I say, great. So you love to see people get saved? Yeah. Oh, so, so you love to, to connect with the unchurched? I sure do. Great. We have some apartment complexes right down here. We have some, some homeless ministry out here. I'll have you do that all week and then you can come share the testimony of what God's done with you. No, no. I, I want to come preach and do altar calls. Oh, so you're here calling yourself evangelist and you just want to preach to Christians. I don't think that's what the biblical term of evangelist is. Oh, you're an apostle. Oh, I get it now. You've 
got 10 people in your church, you've got a business card that says that, and you have a guy that bring your water and your Bible, and you just, you're just in a storefront somewhere, and you're not affecting culture? Paul was traveling, going to places that never heard the gospel. He was getting beat. He was getting hurt. He was getting rejected. And he was establishing churches with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they partnered with that. See, I really believe that we can take a note from them. They found contentment because they partnered with the gospel. Let me just say this to you. I believe that you will find contentment when you partner with the gospel. I don't think the issue is that people need to rededicate their life. I think they never dedicated their life. I think there's, there's people in America that say, I'm a Christian. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a Christian. And, and we put on like a, like a badge. But let me tell you, if you're a true Christ follower, you have affections for Christ and the gospel. And a true Christ follower, I'm telling you, and it doesn't all happen at once. This is, you know, God stirs your affections day after day, that you really want to partner with the gospel. That you burn to see the gospel go forth and people surrender to Jesus and people see their life changed. But if you've never surrendered to Jesus and had him regenerate you, then you don't have the desires. You're like, I don't care. It don't matter to me if the gospel goes forth or not. Think about that. When do you wake up and say, man, I want the gospel to go forth today. I mean, I'm just praying for our community. I'm just praying. I want people to surrender to Christ. I want to partner with the gospel. And that's a true distinction of a Christ follower. And many of us are, are, are wearing a, a Christian badge but have no desires for Jesus. And we can fix that at the end of the service. You can surrender to Christ. Because you can have a heart for many things and not really know Jesus. You can love music. You can love preaching. You can love the, the church family and still not know Jesus. You have to surrender to him. And as you surrender to him, he changes your heart. And you have affections for the gospel. You care about it. You want to partner with it. You're like, man, I want that to happen. And that's what the Philippians show us. See, in America, we partner with everything, don't we? Let's just be real. And I love this here. Um, and I'm going to preach the truth whether people like it or not. Okay? I'm not here to build a big church, but build big people and people who can handle maturity. We partner with a lot of things, but we don't partner with the gospel. Case in point, you got a bill from Comcast this month, probably. And, and, and you're paying Comcast money. Don't think twice about it. And I have Comcast. Don't give me Xfinity, whatever. Now, I'm not, I'm not hitting on. I have it. I don't live in a cave. I actually have a home, and we do all that, too. So what I'm sharing you, I, I do. But we have no problem writing Comcast a check, sending it there, partnering with them, and their CEOs are flying around right now. They probably have a house in Cancun, and they're living up on the beach while you're writing. And you don't, it doesn't matter, right? You, we never think twice that we're partnering with Comcast to advance their calls. Credit cards. We partner with credit cards all the time, don't we? Yes, we have a few credit cards as well, and, and you remember the Strap series that I did in February. If you didn't, you need to listen. But we partner with them, we pay these interest rates, and, we're, and their CEOs are living it up, houses three or four times our size, having extravagant lifestyles, and we have no problem doing that in America. And everything, these things are promising, I don't, you can watch 50 movies in a weekend and you ain't going to be content, will you? You will still need another movie the next week, won't you? Oh, your credit cards, you, you can get new stuff and you need it again. The car dealerships, somebody say amen. Y'all still love me today? If this is your only visit to Thrive today, man, I love y'all. Man, I'm just acting up this week. I get really bold when I get in this pulpit. I'm not usually like this. Car dealerships. 
Well, we'll go, and my wife has a car and a car payment. So I'm not hitting you. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Me and you together. <laughs> and we will advance the calls of the finance company for that car and partner with them and have no problem with it. But one of the things is that none of those partnerships will ever last to eternity. None of those partnerships will ever change lives. None of those partnerships can ever bring contentment in our life. But we partner with it. And when I talk about partnering with the gospel, some of y'all are like, and I'm not asking for your money. I'm not asking for another offering. I'm not doing any of that. Okay? So, so don't, 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 don't clench your wallet and say, honey, if, if, if they go for the offering, we're heading for the door. I'm not doing that. Okay? But many of us are partnered with so many things that are not bringing contentment in your heart. And when you're partnered with the gospel, it brings that contentment. You have a fulfillment that you're like, man, I'm seeing lives change and I get to partner with it. I'm so excited. And I want to thank you for this. There are people here at Thrive Church that are partnering with the gospel. And we're seeing people baptized, people saved. We're seeing community outreach done. We're getting to connect with teachers. We're getting to connect with with staff at schools because people here or partnering with the gospel. I thank God that we have a church of people that want to partner with the gospel. Amen? Yeah, you, you can clap there, especially if you're partnering. If you're not partnering, clap anyways. It looks really odd. Like, they may think you're not. But my, and, and many of us are, are, are not participating actively in the gospel around the world, and it's sad. My wife walks in one day, and I'm playing a video game. Of course, I'm not playing a video game. I'm actually sitting on my phone looking at a tutorial. Yes, I play video games too. I'm pretty normal. If you're one of that spiritual guru who sits Indian style and spits nickels in lotus position all week, I don't do that, okay? We watch movies. I play video. So I'm sitting there. The game is paused, and I'm just looking at my screen. She's like, hey, babe, what you doing? It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm watching this, this, this video game. She's like, oh, you're watching a video game? I said, well, I, I try to explain this. Really, I said, well, this guy's beating it. He's doing such a good job. This is amazing how good he is at this game. So how long have you been here? And I'm not going to tell anybody how long I've been here watching that. Um, it was after hours. It was not during the office time. And she's like, you're watching the video game and some guy beat it, but you're not doing it yourself. It's like, yeah. I wasn't participating. I was watching somebody else do it. I, I believe that's the story of many Christians. We're watching other people partner with the gospel, advance the gospel, live for Jesus, sacrifice for Jesus, and we're just watching them do it the whole time. We're not, we're not partnering or participating. And I believe that God would, would, would bring contentment when we start participating in the things of the kingdom. Many of us are looking at other people beat it, other people do the job, and we're watching people lead worship, and me speak, and people pray, and, and people sacrifice, and then we're sitting back like, yeah, I came today and watched him beat the game. It's time for you to partner, and the good thing is, when I got done with that tutorial, I went and beat the game. I just didn't watch it, right? And so many times, that's where we're at. And actively partnering with the gospel and advancing it brings contentment. He said, no one else shared, partnered in my distress. So the second point is, I will partner with the gospel. Say that with me. I will partner with the gospel. Now here's your third and final point this morning, found in Philippians 4.15. And the third point is this, the third statement you're going to make is, I want my model of generosity to be contagious. Okay, that's a long one to say with me, a lot of syllables. Let's see if we can do this good 
little boys and girls. I want my model of generosity to be contagious. It's pretty good. I want my model of generosity to be contagious. If you'll take these three statements every day and say that in the mornings, I guarantee, and you start actively participating, you will see contentment. Here's what Paul says in Philippians 4.15 to probably the most generous church of the New Testament. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, watch this, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. That means the church in Thessalonica won't even help them. That's tough, man. That's shameful. And watch this. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Now, they sacrificed and were generous to Paul's ministry. He said, and now I seek the fruit that abounds. I don't believe the fruit is you give it so you can get some money back. And you can wear your Rolex and drive your Mercedes and talk about how blessed you are. Because I believe there's people with Rolexes and Mercedes and and these, these faith camps that are discontented with life. What the fruit that abounds is contentment in your heart and contentment in my heart. And that's the fruit that Paul was hoping that would abound. Look at verse 18. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And now, and watch in verse 19. You've got to read this in context. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. What he is sharing with them is they were the most generous church of Europe. And he was saying that you will never find contentment, the fruit that abounds, unless you're a generous believer. And I believe generosity marks a disciple. Um, I, I shared recently when I'm on a Wednesday night is that waste is giving more than is necessary, right? You remember when, when the girl had that perfume box, Mary, and she broke it at Jesus' feet? And it was a year's worth of wages and she wasted it on them. And then Judas and the disciples are like, hey, why is she wasting that? She was generous. She gave more than what she thought was necessary. And that's what waste is. And, and she found contentment in following Jesus. She was at the cross even when the disciples were not there. When I mention this word generous, some of you will crawl inside and it rubs you the wrong way. You're like, oh God. I want to get out of this church. I'll never come to this church again. Ah." Can I just submit to you that if that's you, then it may not be what I'm saying, but it may be something inside. The only way to conquer greed, and listen to me, is to be generous. You cannot conquer greed by saying it three times. You have to be generous to conquer greed. And at our core, if you would admit and I would admit, we are all just a little greedy. I know I am. My wife and I talk about it all the time. We talk about these things when we're going through this. And here's how it works. God is generous. How many believe that? He gave his most prized possession, his son. He gave as a model so we could see sacrifice and would model that sacrifice to go forth. You are most like God when you sacrifice so the world can know Jesus. I, I, I want a model of generosity that spurs others. And that's just that's time, talent, and treasure. I ain't talking about talk to your wallet. Stop clenching it. Stop like, oh God, he's going to do a campaign. They're going to do a building project at the end. I'm not. It's cool. 
But I want my model of generosity for the kingdom to be contagious. Uh, you know, we moved here, my wife and I, last year on, on, on just faith. The people that were here can tell you it was all faith. Okay? It was sacrifice on our, on our, on our part. And I wanted my other friends in ministry to see it's not about climbing a ladder to get the bigger churches and better churches and better salaries. Um, that's a hireling. Okay? But I wanted them to see my life and I was, and by some hope they would see the model of generosity of throwing myself at the gospel. See, I believe if you're really a Christ follower, if you surrendered your heart to Jesus and he's your all, that you would just hurl yourself at the kingdom. It's like no abandonment. It's like, man, I'm just, it's like diving in a pool. That man, he, he loved me first and I'm going to jump off into this thing and my whole life's going to be about Jesus. And I want that to be contagious to you guys too. I can never ask you to go somewhere I've never been as a leader. Probably the best model of generosity that I can think of is my mom. My mom passed away July 30th last year. And I was reflecting this week about mom and how much I loved her and just how awesome of a mom she was. And I was thinking about this message. I said, she was the model of generosity. She wrote all the checks. She handled the checkbook for dad. He didn't want to deal with it. He made the money. She handled the checks. She was retired. And when mom passed, dad had to take the checkbook back over, right? It was all in order. It was all good. But we were sitting there one night, and he began to, like, get these thank you cards and how much she'd given to these organizations. She'd, like, she was given to three churches, two of which she didn't even attend. One was my church plant in Florida. Another was her mom's church, and then her home church. She was, and then she was given to, like, some orphanages. And then we found out she was, I mean, we got, like, 18 organizations she was given to. And my dad is not a believer. He does not know Jesus. He'll tell you he doesn't know Jesus. He was so moved by it. He said, man, your mom was just so generous. He says, I'm telling you what. He says, I'm going to keep doing this on her behalf. I can't believe how generous she was. And they never had need. He said, son, I don't know how we're giving all this stuff away. And we never have need. She was retired. He's getting ready to retire. And mom was the most joyful, contented person I'd ever seen. But she was generous. If you met her and she liked you, and she happened to get your address, at Christmas you were getting a check. So it would have behooved you to talk to my mom and become her friend. She was very generous. But dad does not know Jesus. He's not a Christ follower. And now he's generous to the kingdom of God because of my mom's model of generosity. And you know what? When, when I think about it, I look at her life and I'm like, Lord, I want that to be my story as well. And I'm going to tell you something. If you're under the age of 80, listen. If you're over the age of 80, I'm going to use you as an example. We have a few that are over the age of 80 in this church. And I'll never forget when I first got here to this church and I asked permission to share this story. I never share a story without prior permission. We had just a handful of people. Church was struggling financially. I'm talking, we were struggling. We we're talking about if God doesn't do something in three months, we're shutting the doors. That's how bad it was, right? I'll never forget Mr. Huey Blackburn. And, and you'll see Mr. Huey with his cane, and he'll usually stop you and say something very encouraging. Stood up. And I don't let people usually do this, but when you've been here around this long and you've done what you did, he gets seniority, right? If he's the only say something, but come on, man. Y'all sit down, shut up, and listen to him. He said, you know, 
And and there's a transition fund to help us get here and get settled. My wife and I were moving. He said, I have given X amount of money to this transition fund, and I want to spur you guys on to do the same thing in this place. He says, we need to step up and believe God that he can do great things. And I sat there thinking, dude, I want to give it this fund. I mean, it was my transition fund. He spurred me on to want to be generous for the kingdom. And guys, listen, the man is 82 years old, right? He, he's on a fixed income. It's not like, he, you know, he's got, you know, accounts in, in, Sweden, in, in Switzerland, different things going on. He was generous for the kingdom. And I really believe if you want to live a life that is without regret and you want to get to that place where you're 80 plus years old and you're like, you know what? I want to look back and be content and be joyful and be ready to see Jesus, then be a model of generosity. Because I'm going to tell you something, you will never regret what you do for Jesus, but you will lay on your deathbed one day and regret not living for Jesus. You will sit back and say, God, if I just would have, man, I had the opportunities, but I let, I let everything else get in the way. I just saw contentment everywhere except for Jesus. See, you can, the truth is you can be content with or without, can't you? Through Christ, it strengthens you. The truth of the matter is partnering with the gospel brings you contentment. And then when you're a model of generosity that becomes contagious, like the church in Philippi, you will find yourself most content. But let me just say this. Could it be that you have a selfish adult child because they were never taught generosity from you? No, no, no. I don't mean you gave them all the Nikes that came out and the brand new, you know, things of the day and the best video games. May it be, and I don't know your story, but may it be that they never saw generosity for the kingdom ever modeled. May it be they were never taught to partner with the gospel. Man, what you ought to do with your kids is sit down with them and show them what it means to partner with the gospel. Show them the baptism video. Like, sweetheart, we partnered with that. Our sacrifice brought this forth. And every time you partner with the gospel, you get to see those things brought forth. How amazing would that be to teach children that with our model of generosity? In closing, there was a Quaker, a very devout one that was watching a new neighbor move in. And he was leaning on his fence. He watched all the new appliances, stainless steel and all the stuff coming into the house and they were loading it in. And the, the, the Quaker told his neighbor, he said, neighbor, I'm here for you. If you ever find yourself lacking something, just let me know what it is and I'll teach you how to live without it. Some of y'all just got that. Some of you will get that on the way home. I, I believe for many of us, we're searching for true contentment. We're searching that we want to be content. We want to be full. We want to, to there's, there's a hole there. And the more we put in, it just keeps sinking out. If you're in that place today, the first thing you got to say is, do I know Jesus? Because he's the one who starts that contentment process. He's the one, when you surrender to him, that makes you content. The reason that, that, that I stopped drugs and drinking and, and all that stuff and, and nicotine the night that I got saved, because he filled a hole in my heart. I was trying to, I was, the more I drank, it was just contentment. I need 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 contentment. And when I met him, the holes in my heart were all filled up. And now when he poured himself into me, I found contentment. Some of you today are in this place and you got holes in your heart. Spiritually. And you're looking for contentment. 
you're saying, God, I want to be content. I've been chasing all these other things. And I want my affection stirred for you. I want to live for you. That's the first group in here. You just want to either recommit your life to Jesus or say for the first time, I want these holes in my heart filled up. I want to find contentment for the very first time in my life. If you will, bow your head and close your eyes in here. I want you just to think about this just for a second.